Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years, and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses, and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator, and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm Carter McKenzie, running host tonight, co-hosting with a couple special guests, and I guess first time with a, with a familiar face here, I got Caroline Cox running co-host with me. Caroline, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Carter? I'm great. It's good to see you. Good to hear from you. Yeah. I know we were talking, uh, you know, before we press record about, hey, can you hear my little one in the background crying that I just put down for bed? And, you know, can you hear him on the monitor? And I'm not going back in there. We read our books and we're going to bed and we're <laughs> that's it. It's bedtime, right? Yes, we have reached that point of uh, solo parenting. Two months into this deployment, and I am over it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you're a superwoman, and more power to you. You're you're absolutely crushing it. And thanks for joining us tonight. We got uh, you know, this I guess family member by choice joining us as well. We got Perry coming at us from North Carolina. What's going on, Perry? Oh, not much, man. I don't know if it was Caroline's choice, but when she said yes to Luke, she said yes to me and the rest of the fam damn way. So here we are. I actually said yes to you and your family and Luke came along with it. Yeah. Well, lucky you. And then we got our uh, special guest of the hour tonight. Um, really excited about having uh, James join us tonight. Um, and I, I guess I'll take a step back and kind of let him introduce himself and, and tell us a little bit about himself. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, James uh, and his brother Luke are creating the best, you know, children's books that I've ever come across. And that's kind of what we wanted to uh, have him on and talk about tonight. So, uh, James, welcome to uh, the Hot Lifty Podcast. Hey, Carter. Thanks a lot. Appreciate appreciate the invite, Perry, Caroline. Nice to meet y'all. Um, yeah, so I'm James Gibran, co-founder of Smile Outside. We write children's books about wildlife and conservation. And I tend to agree. I think they are the best children's books out there about wildlife out around. So I appreciate you having the same mind space as me. Um, yeah, we started the company about three years ago, and it's uh, been a lot of fun. Luke can't join us tonight. He's he's uh, more of the behind-the-scenes kind of guy anyway, so it worked out okay. No, I understand. And, you know, Perry's the one with the – he is the nice radio voice, and Caroline's the pretty face of HLE. And I just work here, man. So I, I understand. I get it. There's, there's roles. There's roles that we all play. Well, I'm neither. I got an ugly voice and I'm not pretty. So we're struggling on this end. But you can write a mean children's book. So that's all that matters. Oh, there we go. So, James, why don't you give us a little bit of background, kind of uh, where where are you at and, you know, uh, kind of what do you what do you got going on? I know you and I linked up through the books and then also through your passion for the outdoors. So why don't you give us a little bit of background into kind of that? Cool. Yeah. So we are based in uh, Houston, Texas. That's where I live. I live on the West side of Texas. Um, that's where the companies ran from Luke. He's up in Dallas. He moved up there about a year ago. So, you know, we bounce back and forth between each other's areas in order to do business. Uh, we started, like I said, three years ago, my boy, um, he's six now, and at the time he was he was right at three. And uh, this all came to, to be because I was tired of the books that I was reading. And I'm sure you all come across some TV shows or some books or some kind of outdoor-related stuff, and you're, you're asking yourself how some information could have got so wrong and out to people. And uh, the classic one is the fishing rod that's upside down being reeled backwards. Uh, in, in this particular case, there was a, an animal in a book that was making a sound that the animal doesn't actually make. It was a, it was a quail that was quacking. And, and to be fair, I think the author of that book was, was trying to make a joke, but it dawned on me that some people probably 
wouldn't catch the joke and they some some poor kid one day is going to make a mistake and say a quail quacks and in the wrong crowd that could be a very very bad thing so um i made a, i made a snark comment to, to my brother about it and he kind of just challenged me to to uh, take on a new lifestyle and be, become a children's book writer and you know he and i started right away down that path and we started the business and a year later we put out our first set of books which was a five book set and uh we became children's books authors and on our way to the high life of self-publishing <laughs> yeah, yeah. self-publishing is where the money's at right James? oh yeah rolling in it man <laughs> i love that and uh you know what you're saying is like so spot on like I have an almost two-year-old. Uh, Emmy's going to be two in June. And, you know, Caroline has a young one and, and Perry's got two of his own. And there's a lot of like pretty terrible TV shows out there. Um, and at least if we're going to have the TV on, I'd like to steer it towards something learning. I, I'm also a teacher and Caroline's a former teacher and uh, it needs to be somewhat educational. And, you know, I've always loved animals and, and the outdoors. And, you know, Emmy came home from daycare the other day knowing the word dolphin and I was like oh my gosh like I did not teach you that word but like we're like pretty aware of what a dolphin is now and it's like so important right and she needs to know <laughs> it's important that a person knows like dolphins don't quack right I mean yeah, like sure you know it's important to know that kind of stuff so is that kind of what what drove you to to push this you know authentic agenda in your books yeah absolutely I mean there's 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 a there's room and space for all kinds of books, um, but the ones out there really they they portray animals in very bubbly, cartoony, human-like ways, and you know that has its purpose. But I, I like I like to to think that kids can also appreciate the more realistic um, look that we provide them, and the information that we provide them that is is as as close to accurate as you can, and, and still keep it. Uh, edu education or entertaining for a small child so that's what we do we we, we have our artists because we certainly do not illustrate our own books we're terrible at any kind of art so we have our artists portray the animals in in a very realistic way so it's very easy to identify as an elk as a mallard as a as a pheasant rather than having to try to guess if that's a hippopotamus or a rhinoceros or who knows what else James, do you have a background in writing or was this endeavor brand new for you and your brother? That's actually a really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, I've always like, enjoyed writing ever since I was little. Our, our mom was really big into, into having us read and write when we were, when we were very young. And uh, I took a lot, of, a lot of creative writing classes actually in my college coursework. So that was kind of a foundation for that. Um, just in general, I've enjoyed writing, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> you caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> I've actually never put that in, into, into like process in my brain before. And yeah, no, I, I really do enjoy it. It's, it's, it's been something I've done for a long time. No, that's, that's cool. And the reason I ask is I'm you know, just curious because, um, you know, I've known I've known a lot of people that aren't professional writers, but they have that strong interest in writing and it serves them um, in various facets of their either career or just personal life doing it for entertainment. And I, I've found personally that uh, I'm not a I'm not a great writer. I, I don't usually enjoy it every once in a while. I get a little bit of satisfaction from from taking pen to paper or otherwise, but it's not something that I uh, feel called to. But I found that a lot of people that I know that, that are the best writers are, are people that, that love it, have that passion for it, even if it's not something they've, they've done professionally. So for you and your brother to kind of pick up this mantle and, 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 you know, take see that there was this void in the space of children's books, talking about the outdoors and conservation, et cetera, and say, you know, maybe that we could fulfill this with a passion is, is I, I love that. I think that's a, that's a, that's a great and, and worthwhile endeavor. Uh, uh, yeah. You made a good point, Perry, because, whether it's uh, our ability to write or just our background in wildlife, I think the only thing that makes us even come close to being successful at this at all is just our, our passion about the wildlife and our message to kids. 
So I think that's really what was propelling us. And it's, it's forcing us to, to probably go about this in a different way than, you know, other books would do, you know, we're looking at it from a very scientific perspective, but also making it fun for the kids. So a couple of y'all are, te- are teachers have your background in teaching. That's my background. I'm a currently, I'm a science teacher. I've been a science teacher for 15 years and Luke, he's, he's in education in, on, on the corporate side. He, he's a health safety environment um, coordinator. So he, he, he runs trainings for his companies about health, safety, and the environment. So we both have a, a strong passion in that, in that avenue also. So you're talking about um, your passion for education and conservation and the outdoors. I noticed that your most recent book is um, the, tra- the dog tracking book. Are you looking at doing more hunting focused books um, in the future? That's a really, really good question. And the, the, the short answer is yes. Um, and to extrapolate on that a little bit is when we, when we started, we, we didn't want to um, just provide books for like the hook and bullet type people, right? Like clearly if you pick up one of our books, if you're, if you're a hunter or a fisherman, like you, you recognize immediately this is a book about game animals. But we also wanted it to be accessible to people who maybe – are against hunting or fishing, right? So we kind of want wanted this to be like a like a gateway into our into our world of the outdoors. And if someone who may not have appreciation for the outdoors like we do, it could kind of open their eyes, hopefully in theory, to at least the world that we live in and the animals that we appreciate. I love that. And not to compare everything to a classroom setting, but that's what I do. So I guess it's going to work for three out of four of us, but you know, you get a wide variety of students in the classroom, right? And you'll have some on this extreme and some on this extreme and some in the middle and some who don't know where they are. And I think that's a beautiful way to bridge the gap, right? Like, I mean, if if people are passionate about wildlife, people are passionate about the outdoors and people are passionate about the critters that run across this earth. And whether you're a hunter or anti-hunter, right? I think that's a beautiful way to bridge that gap. And, you know, um, it may be children's books, but I think it could lead to some phenomenal conversations that bring light to both sides of, of, of that conversation. Right. Exactly. And like, so the, the, the first set of books that we published, right. Our conservation series one, we kind of like made a, like a, a broad approach to all the different game animals that people most commonly may approach. And we also have the clean water book in there too, because obviously water is the foundation of, all life so forward we, like into the future we're looking into the future to come back to what was caroline was asking is are we going to write more hunting focused stuff so again the short answer is yes what those might look like we haven't exactly hammered out we but we do know that eventually as as we continue to create more content and to also create content for older age levels that we do want to start introducing some more of the actual hunting and fishing themes. But again, like what that looks like, we aren't hundred percent short yet. I imagine that's one of the exciting things about um, creating a, a book series is that <laughs> there's in, in this world of, of the outdoors, whether it be hunting, fishing, or, or just any, any outdoor pursuit, any, any endeavor that, um, that we all enjoy, there's almost unlimited, opportunities to chase any number of rabbits down the hole. And, you know, there's, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. It doesn't really matter to us if, if, you know, if you've enjoyed the particular pursuits that, that we happen to enjoy in this room um, or on this, on this uh, podcast, but as long as kids are hearing the message and, and potentially being exposed to new ideas, um, asking their parents questions and and having that that novel experience through a a book then for you i would imagine is as um creators there's there's almost unlimited you know avenues that you, you can explore and that's kind of the the main problem we face is there are so many different avenues i mean like our antlers book it has the antler animals of north america it would be very easy to do a book just on elk or just on mule deer. 
it would be easy to do a, a book just on bull elk, just on bull elk antlers. Like there's an endless number of possibilities. So it, it's a it's a really cool process to to kind of figure out the avenue that's going to be most enjoyed and most educational. And also we have to look at the profit side also. How many people are actually going to buy a book? You know, how many people are interested in, in elk? Well, obviously in our, in our circle, a lot. But so there's a lot of weighing things out that has to be done. Um, that last book we put out, though, that was that was very different than the, the previous eight book. It's it ha for those of you who have not looked on the website or haven't looked on the website yet. It's an ABC book that uses sporting dog breeds to introduce the alphabet. Um, it also includes shapes and colors, but what makes this book really different is that it's not illustrated with um, anything except for photographs. We haven't used any photographs in our previous eight books. We used uh, three different artists in watercolors, pastels, and digital art. So, it was, a, it was a hard conversation for Luke and I to have whether or not to, to include the photographs of the dog. But at the end of the day, we decided to use photographs because it's really difficult for some of the breeds of dogs. Cause we use very obscure breeds in some of the pages. It's difficult to really portray those without having a great amount of detail. And then in order to have that great amount of detail illustrated, that would automatically bump the budget up exponentially with with who we would have to go to in order for the artwork to be be done but the great part about that was we re, 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 i'm sorry we reached out to friends and people we had met on instagram whose accounts we followed because they had these bird dogs and we we reached out to them and and all of them were so happy to contribute like really high quality photographs for the cause and uh we love that book it's it's a fun book yeah, dog people are great. They're always happy to to shed any light on the on the particularly the the hunting dog world because it's kind of a small world. So I mean that that's that's pretty awesome that you're able to tap into that. Yeah, for sure. And it, it was something that we also like asked ourselves. Okay, so we, we focus on wildlife conservation. Clearly, domestic breeds are not wildlife, but they are one of the best conservation tools for bird hunters in terms of uh, recovering uh, wounded birds and for for tracking wounded game as well. So it's a perfect time for us. Well, if you ever need a picture of a miniature weenie dog, you just let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> Nala's now, beautiful. Yeah, Nala's gonna make it on the next Conservation Series 3. <laughs> I'm gonna have to see pictures of her now. Yeah, she's pretty cute. <laughs> I don't know if you'd call her a hunting dog, but she's cute. <laughs> Now I, I don't want to backtrack too much, James, but how do you, how did you two get how did you get into this? Can you lay out kind of your background with the outdoors growing up? Did you grow up hunting and fishing? Uh, how did you get into you know being passionate about? I know you're a science teacher and like I love your the, your your book about water and the water cycle. Like I think that's so important, like the clean water and like that totally makes sense. Like my wife is a middle school science teacher, like you're checking the bot. Like, I understand that you're a science teacher. That totally makes sense now. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you get into kind of, this is the Avenue we're going to go down, you know? Yeah. Um, quick note on that book though. I actually have that book sitting on my desk, that clean water yeah. book in my, uh, high school aquatic science class. I have my kids actually read it. Yeah. Um, as you should. I as, a, as an introduction to the topic. Right. So, but, uh, yeah, so Luke and I, um, we were very, lucky to have parents that introduced us from before we can remember to the outdoors. We were hunting and fishing. Uh, you know, we, you, you know, a lot of people have those first memories. We don't, it was, it was, we have memories when we were able to start making memories. So we've been involved in, in the outdoors for a very, very long time. Uh, we started here in Texas and we moved to California when I was five. So I started fishing. I remember a couple hunts here in Texas. I went, went with my dad on in California. Our passion really, really increased as we explored and grew and were able to come, come more involved in those uh, practices with our, with our folks. 
Um, California has a lot of public land. People don't know about that a lot. You know, people out west or out east rather may not know that California indeed does have a lot of national forest, has a lot of BLM, uh, primarily up in the northern part of the state where we live. So we were able to do a lot of a lot of pretty cool stuff, and that really um, set a good tone for us as we moved from California to Florida in our high school years. And as we were able to start driving on our own, Luke and I would go out on our own more when our father was busy. And it's just grown and grown and grown. We've been back here in Texas now for, uh, shoot, 13, 14 years. And we're getting older and expanding our hunting opportunities across the nation. And one day we'll jump across an ocean or two and hopefully do that too. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a, it sounds like a, you know, a story that a lot of us here at the HLE team can relate to is just that being fortunate to be in that position where, you know, you were, it was introduced to you at an early age. Um, I, uh, you mentioned, um, you mentioned that the, the dog, book was the first one that you had had used photographs for and all the others had been a combination of of various artists um <clears throat> did you go into this knowing that, that you two were not going to be the illustrators and if so how did <laughs> how did you approach that dilemma when it comes to because we all know kids books have to have good pictures right i mean no no kid wants to just listen to the words they want to see the, the beautiful pictures for sure um <laughs> Originally, actually, I proposed my brother that we go on YouTube and learn how to draw. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> you can learn anything on YouTube, right? So, so I hopped on there and I, I tried drawing. I don't remember what I tried drawing, but it, it immediately I was like, okay, this is going to be a, a, an incredible waste of time. Like the, the amount of time I'm going to put into this is gonna, not going to be worth it. So I reached out to um, one of the art teachers at the school I was teaching at. Uh, Anna Ortiz, and she was very happy to hop on the project with us. So she she illustrated the first five uh, books we put out, and then one of the three in the next set as well. Yeah, <laughs> we were trying to you know keep as, our budget as low as possible. We were counting like how, how many pennies and tape tape each package would, you know, just trying to cut every corner we possibly could and. That one we decided we need, need to bite a bullet or two and just make it make it done right because God we were so terrible. Yeah, I was I was scanning some of the uh, the the um, the pictures on on your website this morning while I was drinking my coffee and they're really good. They're, I was I was pretty impressed. I, uh, I before we started recording, I told that I don't actually have the any of the books yet. I just made my my first order. I've been kind of my kids are are six and three and you know how it is. Everyone in the world gives you books for birthdays and, and Christmas and everything. So we haven't, we haven't bought any books, any children's books for a long time, but I told my wife, I was like, I've got to order these. These, these are awesome. I'm really excited to, to get them in. Yeah. I, I, I want your feedback on them too. Like honest feedback is always good. And uh, you know, we hear good things about them, which are great, but anything that people can tell us that we can do better is always, always appreciated. So um did you get both series or did you get one, I, I just, the first series? yeah i just ordered the first series uh we'll give it the okay. old trial run you know what i mean no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i just ordered the first series and i figured we'd start there and then i will get the next one uh maybe make it a, a gift for one of the kids birthdays or something Perfect. i'm excited to read that one about the water act so i'm actually not a teacher um but it's funny because i do uh environmental consulting professionally and so and most of my job is actually focused on um on water resources based on okay. the clean water act and so that'll be that's that's right in my wheelhouse so that's cool sure you can take that and teach your clients up yeah, yeah. put it in your dashboard of your truck and take it to all your consults man oh yeah i've got some clients that could could use some of that education so for sure and that's another thing actually a good point that you bring up is is we get a lot of feedback and we and this was by intention as well like especially for those, those parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles that may not be in the outdoors like, like we are. We wanted to make sure that they would be learning stuff also. And we've gotten so much feedback by, by adults be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Or messages on our Instagram, is, is that what a muskie's real name is? And it's, just, it's cool to see like adults even learning from it too. It's, 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 it's fun. It's a lot of fun. 
So on top of the education, um, you guys donate part of the proceeds to conservation. Um, how did you pick where you wanted to send that money to, who you wanted to um, help out with your proceeds? Um, that's a hard, hard decisions to make. There's a lot of good organizations that do a lot of good work. Um, but yeah, the, the conservation aspect is one of the main things that drove us from the very beginning of this whole thing. We knew that we wanted to build a business that could have a positive effect on kids. It could provide us with some additional funding that we otherwise would not have to give back to conservation. Um, and also hopefully make a little money ourselves. Still haven't done that yet. We, we reinvested all of our, our earnings back into the business. So we have tons of inventory. Um, once that gets sold, we might be able to take a paycheck. Um, choosing the organizations is, is a really, really tough uh, decision because, you know, there's the question of, do we want to spread it out to all the people who we know are doing great things and give them a small amount or do we want to make more substantial donations to a few amount of people or do we want to really go work hard with one group and just load them up? Um, so we've kind of done like a combination of all that. We've, we've built some really good relationships with uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever over the last few years. Um, that's where the majority of our conservation dollars has gone. We've also built a really good, uh, good friendship with our local Texas chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. They're a really good group of people. Um, we have our pint nights every month. And uh, so we give back to them. And then also, you know, there's uh, some smaller contributions we've made to folks like TRCP, uh, Mule Deer Foundation, um, Nevada Parks and Wildlife, just others. Uh, uh, several more that I know I'm missing off the top of my head, but uh, the the key to us giving back is obviously sales, and we we promise and we write on the back of all of our books so people can see it that at least fifty cents from every book sale goes back to these organizations, and to keep us accountable, we are uh, two percent for conservation business members. Um, that's an organization, conservation organization that certifies businesses as putting at least 1% of their time and 1% of their fund or money back to conservation. So every year we do a, a, checks with, a check and balance with them and they, uh, they provide us with their seal of approval. So they're, they're a great organization to, to motivate other companies to come into the conservation world and give back. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of, of, something that y'all asked me just a moment ago is like, how did we get into the conservation outdoor, like, you know, thing. And as we matured through this whole process of growing up and taking advantage of this resource that we have, we've become more and more aware of how important it is to give back, right? It's a finite resource, but as long as you are using it responsibly and providing, uh, your time and your money to to help the resource the resource actually will sustain for generations to come and that's why it's so important for us to to really give back so that it's a resource that can last in perpetuity rather than be finite and come to an end like it very closely could have you know 100 years ago yeah they're not making any more land right and i mean we see evidence every day as parents, as, you know, from y'all's position as educators of some of the pitfalls of, of, um, quote unquote, modern society and having kids that can have outdoor experiences, whether it be on, on, uh, you know, public land or, or otherwise, but, um, it can really make a difference in people's lives. And it, it's, uh, it's an important outlet for a lot of us that, you know, when I was younger, I know I absolutely took it for granted. Um, and now similar to you, as I've gotten older, you know, these things start to kind of dawn on you. And I think it's cool because you mentioned that like, there may be adults that could see your books, um, and not, you know, not, <clears throat> not know what a, 
what a muskie looks like or something. But there's also a lot of folks out there that, you know, may call themselves conservationists or may call themselves environmentalists or, or whatever, but don't understand where a lot of that funding comes from. It actually comes from the hunters, the anglers, um, the folks that are spending money on, on tags and licenses and, and, and gear and, and all of these things that goes directly back into conservation. And what I've found personally is that those of us that are passionate about these things, um, we're going to put that time and we're going to put that money back towards it, towards that long-term goal of making sure it's around for our kids. For sure. For sure. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation does a really good job of, of putting up uh, stuff on their social media websites that really kind of breaks it down about how, how the dollars have helped and where the dollars go and where the dollars come from and how the progression of wildlife species has has increased over the course of this North American model's progress. Yeah, and it's really important. And coming from a social studies teacher here, it was almost toast 100 years ago. Like, done. Like, see you later, never going to hunt again unless you're a millionaire, right? Yeah, everything. Like, big game, small game, birds, everything. 100%. And that, that rebound has been, you know, nothing short of, uh, a miracle and that's you know because of folks who took the time and, and put the resources into looking out for that conservation so just to reiterate for everybody listening 50 cents of every book that is sold is given to conservation and that's not that's that's amazing i mean that's incredible like so many companies don't do that right and hunters you know we are conservationists we claim to be conservationists and here's an excellent opportunity to put your money where your mouth is and and be a part of that and also read your kids sweet books you know thanks man yeah um just you know barrett doesn't have the second conservation conservation series yet um and his birthday's in august so looking at you uncle p i I, I got you girl i'll split it with you perry if you're strapped for cash all right (laughs) hey man that 50 cents is, is a on, on that sale, you can go ahead and earmark that as mine. I don't want Carter getting the credit for it, James. <laughs> Listen, like they really are the, like great gifts, right, for kids. And it, I don't want to say it's a better gift, but it's it's a really good gift to give to people who you know aren't in our space, right? So if you you have friends that necessarily aren't hunter, hunters or anglers, or cousins or siblings who aren't into it, it's a really good tool. Like I said earlier, to help introduce them to some of the, the concepts that we have because each, each of the books that we have there's there's trickling in some very small conservation concepts whether it's you know keeping water clean or keeping habitat for the pheasants and quail so they can hide and lay their eggs there's just little tiny pieces in there that you know like really might help those people who aren't you know aware of these things to start thinking along the lines of you know what what am i actually doing for wildlife yeah, and you can tell those. I I, I read uh, "Fun Fish and, and Reef" to my daughter tonight, or my wife did. My, my my wife does the reading. I do bath time, but I sit in there on the floor while they read together. And uh, my daughter's obsessed with all things sea creatures right now. Anything that's in the water, she's obsessed with it right now. And so those are her go-to's. She refuses to put them away and she takes them in her crib at night and she sleeps with them <laughs> like this i'm not even kidding every single night she's like fish 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 has to have it. that book has to have that book um but reading those sentences you you, you say you, you just talked about like slipping in those you know nuanced conservation uh, anecdotes in there um how you know you read a sentence from a child's book and you're like all right that checks out next page how long does it take for you to like break that? Like that's got to be painstakingly slow, right? Right. That's got to be so easy to overthink. So, yeah, it, it is because it, there's so much that goes into it. There's, you know, the information that we put in there, we, we want to make sure it is correct. Right. So like in our brains, we know what we say is correct, but we still double check ourselves because, you know, you never know. Um, so there's that process of vetting our own information. Then there's the, the, the process of making it run smoothly throughout the entire book. Then there's the process of making sure that it's like at a level where a kid will not only find it entertaining, but it also isn't, um, going over their head so they can still pick up things from it that are useful to them. 
So it, 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 it takes a while and, um, you know, it's hard to say on any given book how much, how much time it takes, but it's, it's not just one of those things that you can sit down one night and just have like a, have a completed piece of work. It, it, it takes weeks, sometimes even months for some of them to, to be to the point where we're like, okay, that's good enough. And even then, you know, we'll go back and we'll read the books again and again. Now still, like some ones have been published for three years, like, gosh, darn it, we should have changed this there. Or, you know, there's always those, those little things. But so that's kind of how we're moving forward. We take those things that we looking back on and we're learning from them still. And, you know, we're going to apply those things that we're learning to the future books. Yeah, I could tell. And just like reading those, it's like every word you can you you just know it's so intent like the intention is so important behind every word that's picked out and it's almost like i was like man if i was doing this it'd be like analysis paralysis like you have to be so specific and you know pick the words that you want to be the most impactful without missing your mark like there's not a lot of words in those books right you're reading no. a kid there's not, it's not a it's not a 500 page harry potter novel you know what i mean like oh it's a sentence per page yeah yeah you gotta At be the most yeah, you got to be intentional. I love it. I guess your kids are probably get to be the guinea pigs for a lot of the a lot of the the test runs. Oh yeah, for sure. My, my son Adam was definitely read all the books before they even had pictures. <laughs> I'll tell you though that that doesn't work too good. They they don't really like to just be read to without a picture at that age. Yeah. So it helps once the artwork's down a lot yeah. too. It's like. Come back, Dad, when uh, when you got the pictures nailed. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and shout out to Ana Ortiz because the pictures are awesome. My favorite part, too. Oh, dude, she does such a good job. Yeah. And, uh, so on that second set, our, our, our conservation series, too, which is all fish. So there's three very, very different types of artwork there. And uh, like I said, there's the pastel, there's the digital, and then there's the watercolor it's hard for me to decide which style I like just because they are so different from each other. And they just, we'd like to think of them as works of art. Just we put out stuff that we, we were very proud of. We're proud of the artists. They do great jobs. Um, the other artist, the one who did the cold water book, his name is Garrison doctor. He's co-founder over at rep your, rep your water and rip your wild. And then the, the reef book, Abby Cleek, did the illustrations in that she actually got married. I forget her new last name. Sorry, Abby. Um, but yeah, they, they're a really talented people and we, we hope to work, keep working with them in the future. Are there any artistic styles or um, ideas that, that y'all have not explored yet that you want to in the future? Stick figures are my specialty. <laughs> yeah. um, the YouTube specialty. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple, uh, a couple artists that we're probably going to reach out to here pretty shortly for a couple of books that we have planned in the, in the queue, um, that are different. They're, they're different. They're different. Yeah. They're just different. Really good artists. And different. I'm going to say different again. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your son. Um, what do you do to encourage the love for the outdoors with your son. What do you do to get him outside? Uh, is he your, is he your only child? He is my only child. Yes, ma'am. So, so yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I guess it start it started from the beginning. You know, I just introduced him to being outside all the time. I introduced him to books about wildlife. Uh, any shows I watch with him. I make, I make sure that it's purposeful. I don't just like watching like garbage TV with him. I'll put on something that's like a wildlife documentary. And, um, he's eaten more varieties of meat than probably anybody that I know. I mean, everything from alligator to elk to uh, upland game bird here down in South, South Texas called Chakalaka. Uh, he just, and he, he loves squirrel tacos. Those are his favorite. Nice. So I think, I think that was a really big key into the introduction is, is just the food aspect like talking to him about, Hey, this is a rabbit. This is, you know, this is a white tailed deer and just getting that mindset into it. And along with them, you have all the fish species fishing is so important to introduce kids to, you know, like a, a worm and a bopper goes a long way. 
Um, and it, it, it's also really important to take them with, don't be afraid to take them out there with you. You know, I don't think it's really ever too early. You can always modify your time in the field to make it special for them. You have to have the expectation for yourself though, that you're going out there for a purpose for that, for that kid, right? Like you can't go out there expecting to shoot a limited dove when it's 98 degrees in Texas. You're not going to be out there for three hours with, with a three-year-old. It's not going to happen. You got to know you're going to be out there for half an hour, maybe an hour. You know, those, those, those kids don't have the longest, um, amount of time that they have the ability to sit and enjoy being quiet or still, but I'll tell you snacks go a really long way for, <laughs> for those times when you need them just, just to have a little extra fun for a few more minutes. So I'm always making sure that snacks are a really important part of the trip. It's something that Adam now looks, looks forward to like, okay, let's plan our snacks. What kind of snacks are we going to have? And then uh, it's like, it's, so it's like a tradition now, like we go out there and he knows he's going to have snacks, like a bunch of snacks. And then we also make the tradition of on the way back from any, anything, we always go out for a burger. Cause I don't take him out for burgers too often or junk food too often, but I always make a point like, okay, that's, this is our, this, this is our thing. We'll, we'll go out, we'll go hunting. Then we'll grab a burger and a milkshake or something on the way home. So it's just fun, like like giving them those little things to look forward to that not necessarily have to do with like shooting or hunting or fishing, but just making the overall experience it's something that they are like wanting to do is really really important. I think that's that's a great. Oh, go ahead, Carolyn. I was going to say the exact same thing. That's a great point. Um, you know, we we just had our son. Or I just had our son in August. He's just now starting to eat solid foods. And uh, we've already had the conversations about, you know, we don't want to give him a ton of sugar or refined foods. And uh, my husband, Luke, has said numerous times, though, that at deer camp, he gets to eat whatever is there, like, cause they stop at the dollar store and get treats and they just eat junk the entire time that they're up there. Um, but that's something that they look forward to, right. Is going to the dollar store and picking exactly. out all kinds of junk and hanging out at the cabin and eating those treats. So. Sounds like you were off to a great start. <laughs> She's got it well covered for sure. Yeah. It's we've, it's something we've, we've talked about. And I, I think it's one of those points that you can't emphasize enough, right. Is like as parents, as you know, we want to be out there um, for, I mean, I, at least I know I want to be out there all day if I'm, if I'm hunting or, or whatever, like I'm going to, you know, it's, it's 110%, but like the first time I took my son hunting with me, I think he was four, four or five, something like that. And, and it was, it was a, it was a November and rifle season in Virginia and we had a kind of a little warm spell come through and I was like, man, it's not 30 degrees. Uh, it's like 45. I was like, this is a great opportunity. So we go out and we sit in the blind for a couple of hours and you pack the snacks and you, you pack all of the, um, you know, the, the goodies and you manage your expectations. And, but it's, it's enough, right? It's enough for him to get that first taste. And, and then now it's like, Every time dad's ready to go deer hunting, it's like, oh, can I come with you? Because you made that impression and you, you formed, right. you know, you formed that, that, um, that first positive memory. And it, and it's like you say, it doesn't take much, whether it be a bobber and a worm or sitting in a deer stand, you, you know, you're seeing squirrels, you're seeing wildlife, you're, there's always things you can talk about. There's opportunities for that, for that education. And, you know, it, as a, I, I've always thought is as a, as a parent, um, and, a you know, someone who wants my children to hopefully get involved in those same activities that it's, it's worth the, you know, the additional, some at times frustrating <laughs> aspects sure. of it, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be well worth it. I'll tell you this, this past season was actually a really frustrating season for me. Um, I had him over Christmas break his mom and I divorced. Like I have him this year or have him this, that year for Christmas. 
and I happened to draw um, a hunt during that time. And here, here in Texas, they have like uh, different different wildlife management areas that you can draw for. And some of them are spike hunts, some of them are antlerless hunts, some of them are uh, trophy hunts at uh, uh, some very prestigious wildlife management areas that are um, uh, managed specifically for very, very big deer. And that was the draw I got. I, I had 11 points, I had 11 points, I drew it. <sighs> It was, a five day, it was a five-day hunt. It was in December. I knew it was going to be cold. Um, I took him with me. We hunted for two days. I bailed after the second day. Luke continued to hunt because we were on a party. So he continued to hunt. Didn't shoot a thing, but we had some really close encounters with some less-than-legal bucks. Um, walking back to the truck just at dusk, we, we came across really up close and personal with it was just dark enough where we couldn't tell if it was a pack of hogs or a pack of javelinas at like 25 yards. So he loved that. So he had a really good time, but you know, it comes back to, you know, what are you trying to, to create? Are you trying to create uh, an opportunity for somebody in that child to grow up and to have a, an appreciation or you want to stay there for five days in the cold and make them miserable? and have them hate, hate it. So it, it takes a sacrifice, right? And that's what love is. And that's what you've got to do sometimes for your kids and sacrifice three days of, of the best hunting as the cold front really pushed in. But uh, Luke, Luke shot a buck and he shot a javelina. So, so he made it up for me. At least he got to, got to see Uncle Luke be successful. Yeah, sure did. Sure did. No, you're right. It's, you, don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to push those limits too far. And I mean, you factor in um, you factor in the message that you can get across with these books and then with, with being intentional about the way you introduce your kids to the outdoors. It's, I think it's a, a great first couple of steps to take to, to foster that next generation of, of hunters and, and anglers and, and conservationists. And um, I, I, love, I love that there's folks like you out there getting that done. Well, those are our hopes, man. We're hoping to make a small change any way we can. Yeah, I, I love it too, man. And I had a more specific question, James, about particularly your or y'all's um, kind of partnership with Pheasants Forever and then your your book, Pheasants and Quail. Did you grow up hunting uh, upland birds and, and, you know, in particular pheasants and quail? And is that or is that more more of a coincidence or is that something you're really passionate about? So I have a bird dog. Um, so I love I love bird hunting all kinds uh, we hunted quail quite a bit growing up um, pheasant we hunted a few times growing up I, I still never have shot a pheasant I've been hunting pheasant like several several times I just cannot seem to hit one for some reason it's it's, it's eluded me I've I've killed an elk but I haven't shot a pheasant and I've been pheasant hunting probably 10 times more than elk hunting um, but yeah so that that book we specifically created that book with the mindset of this book is going to be a book that we are going to be able to utilize in, in a way that can help the pheasants forever and quail forever people. Cause the work that they do with landowners and it and habitat is just, it, it's, it's very admirable um, because a lot of the best, a lot of the only, but a lot of the best for sure, habitat for quail and pheasant resides on private lands so they make really great partnerships with landowners to make sure that they're able to maintain healthy populations of those of those birds even though pheasant are an exotic um we've adopted them as natives so we'll let it slide yeah. well and those those upland game birds need help i mean that habitat is is one of the one of those uh it's one of those sectors of the kind of the, um, the game species that is, is really, you know, seen declines, um, even in recent years where there's, you know, plenty of success stories out there. And we kind of alluded to that earlier, but those upland game species and those organizations, they, you know, they need, they need that help when they need that, um, you know, that message to get out there. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's, uh, do they still have Bob whites up in North Carolina? Yeah, there are, they are, um, much much less um 
uh, abundant than they used to be. Um, sure. There's, there's, it, it's, it's again, like, you know, in North Carolina, we have, we have some public ground, but most, you know, most wildlife habitat management occurs on private property. And um, I have actually been fortunate enough to work with a couple of clients um, that are managing some pretty nice pieces of private property. One in particular specifically for quail. He's a hardcore quail enthusiast, but it really takes a, uh, a very uh, specific um, mindset and, and approach to manage a piece of property uh, for quail. Um, oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen a couple around, but it's just not, there's not that much habitat for them anymore on this, on this part of the world. Yep. Due to that right down here too. Yeah. Yeah. Same in Georgia. They're disappearing rapidly. You got to go South and most are farmed and, and put on those plantations to, to be hunted. Not a lot of wild coveys left. Just, uh, just put a little plug out there for you, James. There's a group called tall timbers. Um, and, uh, they do some pretty good work for a lot of a lot of quail habitat in the southeast. Um, I don't know anyone over there personally, but this particular client of mine, he's worked with them, and I've I've run across them a bit. But they're um, they're focused on on bob whites. Very cool. Yeah, we'll look into that for sure. Yeah, Caroline, you you said your husband's on deployment. He is. Yeah. What, what branch is he? He's army. He's in Very the cool. infantry. Yeah. Be sure to give him our thanks. I will. I will. Yeah. He's a, he's on a training deployment right now. So um, he's kind of living it up over in Europe. Uh, I think he's having more fun than I am. (laughs) Um, But uh, I will definitely tell him that you appreciate him. Yeah. We, we, uh, our, our oldest sister, her husband, uh, he's now retired Navy. Um, But yeah, she, she went through several deployments, many deployments. Um, in his 22-year career, so we understand the difficult times it is for you, for you and the little one, and we appreciate y'all's sacrifice as a family as well. Well, we appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Sure. No, he's sorry with the with the time change and everything. It's been tough to get him back on podcasts, and he's sorry he missed this one because you know he knows just how much we love your books, James. Well, shout out to him. Hope your training goes well, man. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. As far as um, hunts go, James, what do you got planned for, uh, you know, from here on forward, from, from June to the end of next season? Well, I was supposed to leave tomorrow for Idaho, but I'm going to be hung up getting a hernia surgery next week instead. Oh, yeah. That- Put a quick quick halt to my mountain climbing week of bear hunting, but uh, we'll get that fixed up, and I'll be back on the on the on the hoof in about four to six weeks after that. But um, uh, I had a draw come through in Arizona, a cow elk hunt. Um, Luke had a New Mexico mule deer hunt come through on a actually a really good unit, so he's look he's really excited about that hunt. And other than that, we'll probably putz around here in Texas and chase some elusive big whitetails on public property and get out in the marsh, take my dog out there. This might be her last year. She's 12 and 98% deaf. So I'm going to get a couple more birds in her mouth this year. So I'll probably be focusing on that. Um, when I'm not really doing the, uh, the, the Arizona hunt, I'll probably be hitting it pretty hard with her this year. That sounds like a pretty decent season there, man. That's, that's full. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And this summer, I'm actually going to head over to Florida at some point during my summer break and go do some scuba diving, some spear fishing. Nice. Missed that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. My counterpart, the, the guy who helps coordinate the podcast, who also just got back from deployment, he's a big, he likes to go down for the lobster uh, spear fishing down in, in the Keys every year. Yeah, it gets crazy down there. It's, yeah. It's yeah. traffic. Several spear fishers. On our team, John's a big uh, spearfishing guy too. He's down in the Destin area. Cool. I know he'll like go under docks and whatnot, just right outside his house. It's great. It's it's a, it's a it's the perfect combination between hunting and fishing. It's so much fun. That's definitely something I uh, have on my 
on my need to try hey, list. Y'all have some have some good spots out there out of North Carolina. Really? Yeah, there's some good there's some good spear fishing out there. Hmm. I might have to talk offline. I might have to pick your brain a bit. Did you not go with John and all of them when you went down to Florida last year? No, I missed the I missed the spear fishing. I went, you know, I was we fished on the boat, but I didn't get there in time for the spear fishing trip. You mentioned uh, spring bear hunting in in uh, Idaho, James. Um, would a bear book be something we could see in the future from you, or is that, or is it, everybody's aware how contentious and how charismatic a bear can yeah. be to the public? I'm sure that's a conversation that y'all have had. And I, I'm not asking you to show all your cards, but I'm just curious. I would be very surprised if we did a bear hunting book. Not maybe not hunting, but what about bears in general? Bears in general, I don't know. We haven't ha- haven't really had that conversation. There's we introduced bears in the Coyote Lost Her Voice book, so yeah. I don't know. Who knows what the future holds on that? I mean, like 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 we said earlier, it's, it's there's so many different possibilities. And people love bears. People I mean, love bears. People love bears. So people love um, bears a lot. <laughs> they really, bears, really and, bears and wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on which crowd you're talking to. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Not the ranchers. <laughs> How do you guys kind of make the choice on you know what species or how do you narrow it down? Like do you start with a mega list and then be like no, 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 maybe, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of exactly how, how it happened. We, we, we want to hit the animals and the species that uh, people are, are most popular for, to, to get the attention of people. And then we try to throw in the, some other animals also that they maybe might not know that are also grouped in with that animal. Uh, like just for example, like the antler book that we have, right? So we have all the antler books, people who are not in our, in our circle deer and deer's a deer, right? People, I, there's a lot of people who don't know that there's three different species, well, kind of four really since Sitka black and the Columbian black tail are two different, two separate subspecies, but they don't know. They don't know that mule deer isn't the same as a white tailed deer. It isn't the same yeah. as, as black tailed deer. Like, yeah, so it's hard. We so we just kind of focus on what people like and kind of clump clump things together that just make sense and go through that list, like you said, and just check off things that are definitely not in there or might be might be worth hanging on to for a little while longer. Well, you're doing the Lord's work teaching people that antlers are not horns and horns are not antlers. <laughs> that verbiage is very important to me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I understand that a lot of people who say horns know the scientific fact that it's an antler. Yeah. I get that it's just like regional colloquial, but it does kind of bother me. <laughs> and the same thing with like pronghorn. People say antelope. Okay. Technically it's a pronghorn antelope. It's not really a member of the antelope family. And this is why we created these books, right? Because I have conversations like this. It's not a member of the antelope family. There's, it's its own separate species. There's no cousins to it. It's, it's a relic of the... I say it's like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then people start yawning. All right, I'll back it up. Yeah, we're guilty of that here. We have so many pronghorn. I live in Colorado. Um, and I mean, they're, they're outside my door. They're everywhere. Perry came out last year for a pronghorn hunt and we refer to them as antelope all the time or speed goats. <laughs> Either. I'll, I'll do it too sometimes just, just because it comes off the tongue. But like, you know, it is what it is. I'm kind of I'm kind of partial to a speed goat myself, but maybe that's just me. Oh come on, Press, the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> once I once I kill one, I'll I'll stop referring to them as that. But until I kill one, yeah. they're still gonna be speed goats. Didn't have much success on that hunt. <laughs> well, we had it, it was a great learning opportunity as a as a first time uh, Western hunt. That was my first trip out west. So I learned a lot. So it's, they're fun hunts. They're a lot of fun. It we had a blast. We had a, you'll walk your ass off. That's for sure. But it's it was a, a a ton of fun. When you get one on the ground, the 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 number one thing I can tell you, everyone knows, get your meat cold fast, right? But 
be very careful about touching the glands and then the meat. Keep that set because that those tarsal glands will just make the meat taste horrible. Anybody who says that pronghorn is horrible, probably is because they got tarsal gland on it. If you if you do a good job and are careful and just keep all that separate, that meat is so amazing. Yeah, I I feel like I heard that uh, before somewhere and definitely noted. I have to I have to keep that in mind. Um, I Luke, when we were out there, Luke cooked some some. Uh, pronghorn for us. It was absolutely delicious. I was like, man, we need to get one of these down so I can take some of this back to to uh, my wife and kids because I know they love it. But um, it's good stuff. Luke Luke shot his uh, second pronghorn this past year. He actually drew a New Mexico rifle tag. I couldn't go on that hunt, unfortunately, but he got another nice one. So he's got two down. Do, do y'all uh, do y'all spend a lot of time hunting together? Go tag tag teaming on, on various trips we do uh it's been it's been more and more difficult the last few years uh just because he's he's moved to dallas in the last couple of years and you know life gets busier as you get older and yeah now that we get the business so we, we you know we we hunt together as much as possible um but we understand now that we we have to also take advantage of opportunities if they come our ways that if if we can't necessarily go go together so a lot of our applications now are separate rather than party hunts just because it affords us more opportunity to be drawn. And we'd rather be drawn more often than have the opportunity to go with the other person instead of not be drawn. So for sure. That's cool. Yeah, I understand that. It's a, it's a quagmire trying to understand all the Western states and application strategies and points and bonus points. And it's a lot. It gets deep, man. It gets uh, real deep. It sure does. We're trying to get Perry out there, and we're going to go tackle antelope in Wyoming next year, Perry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was looking at Colorado the other day, and golly, I, Wyoming is simple compared to Colorado, or at least that's my experience so far. But I haven't hunted Wyoming, but everything I've heard is, yeah, Wyoming, if, if, if you want to go on the pronghorn, that, that's the state just to go to. Yeah, yeah they're everywhere, man. Well, hey, James, we're rolling up on an hour here, and we don't want to take up too much of your time, but, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you, man, and I got one final question for you. I was wondering what the future of Smile Outside is looking like, and if you can glean any light on future projects you guys are working on. Um, we've, got, we've, got, we've got three books that we are in the, in the initial stages of planning. Um, two of which we're hoping to put out in the next, within the year. The other one is, is a more um, long range project. It's going to be a really in-depth project. It's going to take us a lot of time to put together um, for a whole bunch of different reasons I, I can't get into, but yeah. So with, within the year, we're, we're hoping to put out some more, some more content for everybody. Heck yeah. Any more coloring books? You know, those were, those were fun to make. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do some research and see if there's a, see if there's more of a demand for more of those. They're they're easy to make, and they're they're, they're they they get they get used really fast as a thing. Yeah, so. my daughter burned through hers awful quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I was gonna say I'll tell you there's absolutely a demand in the room sleeping down the hallway because my daughter <laughs> loves nothing more than to color. So I have to she would she would absolutely uh that's cool help help take care of some of that inventory. You blame it on your daughter. Make sure it wasn't you. Come on now. Yeah, well, <laughs> my wife doesn't listen to this, so <laughs> I do feel like we also need to point out that uh, you and your brother are Luke and James, and my Luke's brother is also named James. We have oh, a Luke no and James. Shit. I didn't pick up on that. Nope. <laughs> the chances. The whole time you Luke and James, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm sure it's getting confusing <laughs> over there. <laughs> That's funny. Oh wow. Well, y'all, it's been it's been great. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here and have have a conversation with the three of you. Yeah, we uh, we so appreciate your time, uh, Perry. You got any uh, closing thoughts for us? Yeah, man, I'm really I'm really stoked to get my um, get the, get that first series uh, when it comes. Like I said, I just ordered it, and I hate that I haven't had a chance to show the kids your uh, 
your work yet, but we'll do as soon as it gets here. Um, like I said, really, really appreciate you coming on. Excited to see um, what you guys have in the future. And I know that there's going to be a lot of, a lot of kids out there that are going to benefit from, from the work you guys are doing. So much appreciated. Absolutely. We appreciate y'all support so much. And uh, you know, as we're talking right here, I, I'm going to jot down a note to me or to myself. I'm going to, uh, put a coupon in the, in our system for your, for your listeners and your, any friends you have. We'll make it HLE10 and I'll get them 10% off in our store. And then we can talk off camera and we'll get you guys some books also that you don't have. Awesome, man. That Really yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Caroline, you got any closing uh, thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm just going to piggyback on what Perry said. I'm super excited to see what you guys do in the future. Um, you've got, you know, lifetime supporters from us you were one of the first series we ordered for barrett and we will continue to order your books um and educate him using you guys super cool super cool yeah all i gotta say is you know just yeah thank you for your time this is incredible this is an outstanding company and got my stamp of approval if that means anything to anybody and you know if you have a kid books come and go and (laughs) there's never enough books and sometimes you get tired of reading the same book over and over. And these books are not that, um, these books stay, uh, at the top of the list, you know, night after night. And I just love it. Cause it's the outdoors, man. And it's, you know, it's way better than anything else that we've been given. And, you know, if you have a kid, you need to order both these series conservation one and two. And I cannot say enough high praise about these books. So, uh, Thank you, James and, and Luke, and outstanding work. And thank you all so much. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. James, tell our listeners where they can uh, where they can go find you on, on social media and your website and go check out your stuff. That's a great idea, actually. They can go to our website at smileoutside.com, or they can reach out to us on Instagram um, at underscore smile underscore outside and uh, ask us any questions, and we'll – be fast to answer. Outstanding. Well, we appreciate your time and listeners. We thank you for your time and we appreciate the hell out of you guys. We'll talk to you next week.